Everyone, remain calm. Welcome to the 65th episode of the Jurassic Park Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Jost, and we're here to discuss all things Jurassic Park. In this episode, we've got some really great updates in our news section. We'll head into the Visitor Center, this time with Lord Christine, to talk about using Jurassic Park to deal with adversities and struggles in life. And we'll wrap it up in our poll segment, reviewing a few of your thoughts on the topic. Keep an eye out for another episode this week fully dedicated to responding to that recent video by Mike Hill. Now, I am a fan of Jurassic World, not because I think it's a perfect film, it's not, but I think it hit all the right notes that I was looking for and certainly deserves more credit than people like Mike Hill are whittling it down to. I really don't think it's fair to misrepresent the film to the public the way he does, so I'm going to dive further into that coming up real soon. Stay tuned. But before that, let's get this episode started off with a bit of Jurassic news from around the world. 18 minutes and your company catches up on 10 years of research. Access rate program. Access security. These pictures were taken in hospital in Costa Rica 48 hours ago. I don't want to jump to any conclusions, but look. I thought we had been right all the time. But today, I guarantee it. This week, Universal surprised everybody by releasing a bit of info on the upcoming DVD re-release of Jurassic World on October 18th. But this time, it comes with a direct-to-DVD Lego animated feature called Lego Jurassic World The Indominus Escape. Here's a plot summary straight from the DVD image on Amazon. In Lego Jurassic World, the Indominus Escape, two of the most beloved brands of all time come together like never before. When Simon Mizrani accidentally destroys one of the park's main attractions, he really should learn how to fly that helicopter. He calls upon his trusted employee, Claire, to save the day. After some quick dino DNA building in Dr. Wu's lab, Claire comes up with the perfect solution that is sure to delight Mizrani and kids everywhere. The Indominus Rex, the smartest, biggest, and scariest hot dog-loving hybrid dinosaur ever created. Unfortunately, disaster strikes after the Indominus eats all the hot dogs and escapes from its pen in a hungry rage. It's now up to the talented and rugged dinosaur trainer Owen Grady to save the day and battle the Indominus Rex in an epic, action-packed finale. It also features some bonus content on the Lego end. Over 30 minutes of Lego content, including employee safety video, all new exclusive short, a day in the life at Lego Jurassic World, a jarring encounter, and Jurassic Pals. So there you have it. This release was completely unexpected. While it is very much a release for kids, I'm very happy happy to see them releasing something for that age range and showing a little bit of faith in the property. I do think it's really exciting that this is coming out and makes me hopeful for the future. Now the bonus feature included, aside from the employee safety video, are all actually already available on YouTube. So that tagline on the packaging said over 30 minutes of LEGO content. 
Now, the three shorts that are already available online equate to about five minutes. Plus, there's that new short and then the Indominus animated feature. Now, Amazon lists the runtime as 150 minutes, but we already know at least uh, Jurassic World is two hours and four minutes. So that leaves us about 26 minutes for the Lego Indominus movie. Uh, that's my guess, at least. Uh, for now, it looks like it's only a DVD release and maybe not a Blu-ray release. I'm not sure yet. Uh, but I do think it's possible that something like that is on the horizon. Hopefully with more bonus content. But I do wonder if this release is a precursor to possibly more LEGO content. Maybe in the form of a TV show or something. You know, Star Wars has a lot of TV shows and different content with LEGOs, so I could see them doing the same thing here. You know, those shorts on YouTube have over 30 million views combined, so maybe this is just a test to see how a 30-minute episode-sized version will do with the kids. Anyway, that's a bit of speculation on my part, but for now, I'm excited that we're getting some new stuff pretty soon. Thanks to Justin Peterson for the original find. Another great find this week from Baptiste in the vehicle department, as this week it looks like Jada Toys, according to their Instagram, is releasing a 124th scale number 12 original Jurassic Park Jeep. Now this one is a much bigger version than the previously released one, and it will certainly be worth getting your hands on. A few pictures have turned up online via Jada's Instagram, along with a few more on eBay, and I'm going to tell you right now, this thing looks legit. I'll include a few pictures on our website and all the links you need to check it out, and maybe even purchase one ahead of time on eBay. So the Dino Hybrid Indominus Rex toy from Hasbro has been making the rounds within the community as it was just recently released, and the reviews are not too exciting just yet. Victoria from Victoria's Cantina, Jay Jurassic, and a few others have put out their reviews, saying the thing looks a bit cheap, but also cool in terms of the paint job. Now it seems as though the biting action, provided by a tweak of the arm, is proving to be a bit of a struggle. In a few of those cases I've seen online, the jaw actually tends to not know if it really wants to work or not. For now, the figure looks pretty good, on a shelf, but I'm not sure how much of the playing action uh, the thing can actually deal with. Hopefully I'll be picking this one up very soon, and at that point I'll let you know some more details. In the meantime, I'll provide a few links to some reviews within our show notes. This week would have marked the 93rd birthday for Sir Richard Attenborough. Let's all take a second to think about our dear old John Hammond on his 93rd birthday. Oh, there it is. There it is. Let's open up the doors to the Visitor Center, where Lord Christine joins us to chat about overcoming adversity by using Jurassic Park. Today in the Visitor Center, we welcome back Lord Christine to discuss the trials and tribulations that life throws our way and how films or books, you know, like Jurassic Park, get us through the day. So, uh, hey, Christine, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. How about you? I'm doing pretty good. You know, you brought this uh, topic to me today, so I'm really interested to talk about it because, you know, just uh, floating through the community, you tend to see people, you know, struggling with something or talking about another issue or bringing up, you know, any other problems throughout the daily life. And, uh, you know, many people in our community and, and other fandoms deal with all these daily struggles, whether they're big or small. Um, and, you know, a lot of them use their fandoms as an outlet to make their lives a little bit easier. Now, um, in our case here today on the podcast, I think we'll probably just weave in some of our real life issues along with maybe even some of the struggles from the films uh, because, you know, they kind of tend to mirror some of our, some of our own feelings in a way. Yeah, so that is what we'll do. <laughs> 
All right. So, like I said, since you brought me the topic today, um, what are some of the the things that you know this Jurassic Park community or the films or you know what what are those things that have make your life a little bit easier? Well, basically, my life as I know it right now did not start until I really got into Jurassic Park. Like, I had sort of hints of Jurassic Park throughout my life, but then there was this moment where just suddenly, like, you know, like, um, Picasso's blue period, like, this is my Jurassic Park period of my life. Mm-hmm. And, um, like, you know, when I was a kid, you know, everyone pretty much had some experience with Jurassic Park, and uh, same with me. Throughout my life, there's been just sort of, like, glimmers of you know, Jurassic Park coming into my life, like, uh, you know when you watch a movie and then you watch, like, a prequel made to that movie, but the prequel <laughs> comes after, like, in the timeline, like, yeah. they made it through, and then they keep hinting towards the movie that's going to come after that, but within the timeline, it's like, mm-hmm. like, within the timeline it's after, but it's something that's already been made, it's like, all of these hints towards something that's coming, it's like that with my life and Jurassic Park, like, it just kept showing up and showing up until finally it became something huge. Exactly. Yeah. I I actually really agree with that because um, a lot of the time you don't even realize that these little points in time are popping up and, uh, you know, shining through in different parts of your life. You know, when I tend to look back at uh, my fandom as, you know, a Jurassic Park fan, I I look at it. I'm like, wow, like it really did pop up all over the place. You know, I can say, you know, I've been a fan since 93 and I just recently went back and watched a lot of um, home videos and stuff like that and myself getting, you know, Christmas or a birthday present or something like that. And, uh, you know, you just see these things popping up and then you're like, wow, I collected this, I collected that. So it really takes over your life in a way. And uh, it's actually really interesting to look back on all that. Yeah, I absolutely agree. It's like if you bump into your future husband or wife uh, on the street and like <laughs> yeah. you don't know it then, but it's going to be something like that's just going to change your life forever. I know. Yeah, you actually you see these news stories pop up every now and then of somebody, you know, they their parents shot footage in Disney World or Disneyland and uh, in the background somewhere is that person's future wife or or husband. And uh, it's just like a miracle. It seems like that something like that actually took place. Yeah, and it's like, it's all of this stuff, uh, I don't really, really believe in, like, destiny and all this stuff, because I think destiny is just, like, the way we interpret coincidence, but, you know, the reason for things being in our lives is, well, because everything affects us in some way or another, and so, it's just, like, one in every million things that we sort of get into sort of becomes something bigger, Mm -hmm. and that's sort of where Jurassic Park is for me. Yeah, yeah, actually, right here, um... I have this funny thing I dug out of my storage recently. It's a it's an old magnet that I put together. I, I can't tell you what year. I have no clue. But I uh, I stuck a piece of paper on it and it says the Jurassic Park Club. And I used like the Jurassic Park font. I I named myself as the manager. I have like my home phone number. So there's like those little things that you you don't realize how big it's going to be later on in your life and how how you'll use use this fandom to change your life in a way. Oh, absolutely. So, um, in your case, this community it's it's fairly it's fairly you know large. It's not as large as maybe something like uh, Star Wars or something. But um, how does this community help shape who you are? Well, the sort of reason why I'm the person I am today is because all of a sudden, out of nowhere, really. Um, I guess it wasn't exactly out of nowhere, but I don't exactly remember how it came to be either. But I just sort of started writing fan fiction, and through that, I sort of found myself and discovered a lot of things about the world and how I see things, you know, thinking about my life and where it's gotten me. And 
you know, all those kind of things that make me who I am. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, sometimes there's a lot of struggles that you have to get by to uh, to realize that, you know, something like film or, or television or anything, a books or, you know, writing in your case could actually help change you. Oh, absolutely. And especially for me, because uh, you may or may not know that I have Asperger's. And so film and media and all of that stuff, it's such a huge part of my life because of the way I focus on things like you hear about these special interests that people like me have. And it's just where you're like obsessed with one thing. And like, it can be ridiculously specific, like a stegoceratops, for example. And you're just like, <laughs> everything is about that now. And you sort of like, it's part of where the sort of inspiration comes for creating things, I guess. And, you know, I'm kind of lucky because a lot of people who have autism and Asperger's like me, you know, they're not as high functioning. Like there's kind of some people who can't go through life appearing to be normal. But most people I meet say that I seem, you know, relatively normal until they get to know me, in which case, you know, they sort of realize I'm crazy. <laughs> but it's... It's been kind of a struggle with that for my whole life, and it's very much tied to Jurassic Park, and especially dinosaurs, the more I think about it. Yeah, so what is it about, like, uh, you know, Jurassic World, when this took off, you, you, you definitely attached to that Stegoceratops a lot. So what is it about that that kind of, uh, you know, shaped who you are now? Well, the funny thing about Stegoceratops is it just, that, um, it, it came right out of nowhere, but grew to be such a huge thing like if you look at all of the artwork I've done you know there's you know different dinosaurs some raptors allosaurus and then after a certain point it's pretty much all stegoceratops <laughs> and there's I think now if you look at deviant art like 50% maybe more of the stegoceratops artwork on there is mine and it's wow. actually quite shocking like but the way it came about is, you know, I was already very deep into writing the silliest Jurassic Park fanfiction ever written, which, you know, in itself is really crazy. And then uh, these photos started popping up of, uh, you know, the Jurassic World toys, you know, before they were released. Yeah. And um, there was a picture I remember where they had blurred out two dinosaurs that was submitted on Jurassic Park Legacy. One of them was Indominus Rex because they didn't want to spoil what it looked like. And the other one happened to be Stegoceratops. And when that image was finally revealed and unblurred, I'm like, oh my god, I, I don't know how, but I have to put this in my writing. And I did, because at the time I already planned for Owen Grady at one point to become an Indominus Rex because of the blue tiger, it's hard to explain. But anyway, <laughs> um, then I realized, oh my god, there's another hybrid dinosaur, so that can be Claire's thing. And of course it works because it's a Stegoceratops, which is like the worst pun ever, but I love it. <laughs> and so, like, when I started writing it, because everything in the stuff I write, you know, it's silly on the surface, but underneath there's commentary about, you know, some of my personal life and, you know, the way we look at the world in general, and it's never as silly as it seems. And so, um, Stegoceratops represents something actually quite dark and sinister in society, and um, it's sort of been spread out like I've made the definition of what a stegoceratops represents to be more broad because I think um, when you're talking about like relatability like it's obviously not good to be so general that nobody knows what you're talking about but when you can relate to an experience more like uh, so the whole idea of like humans becoming animals in fiction is something that we both have experienced and haven't because nobody has literally turned into an animal 
but it can represent so many different things and, you know, touch so many people's lives. Like, I'm sure some people may have picked up on the fact that um, very early on uh, in the Stegoceratops sort of mythos, uh, Claire starts sort of losing her mind and she shows symptoms of, like, Alzheimer's and stuff like that, which is also symbolic of something else, but we'll get into that. But, um, you know, and just the fact that you're sort of losing someone and their mind, the thing that you like about them, you know, slowly that's going away and they're becoming less of the person they are and you might lose them forever. And that's like a scary thought. And so I sort of wanted to show that through something that, because the way I look at the world, I can't really interpret things very well because I do have this sort of mental developmental disorder. And so I don't connect with people in the same way that, you know, normal people would. So I view things through the lens of fiction, and the more I write about things, the more I understand, you know, stuff. Because just words alone, I, I'm not good at interpreting, like, facial expressions and, you know, social cues and stuff like that. But somehow when I'm able to put it into writing, I, I get people more, like, I'm able to connect with them. And it is kind of, like, sad to say that, you know, that the only way I can connect with people is through hybrid dinosaurs, but it is true. Yeah, I guess if you're able to express it differently on the page than you are in person, then uh, you can definitely connect uh, in a completely different way than you could, you know, in in a one-to-one situation. Oh, definitely. And I think, you know, as much as I try to understand people through writing, a lot of it is about having other people understand me. And, like, Mm -hmm. you know, even I don't understand me sometimes. Like, it's pretty hard to sort of know. Like, there's all these existential questions, like, who am I? What am I here for? And, you know, nobody knows the answer to any of those, you know. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the way I go about seeking answers might be a bit different. But because um, when I talk to people, one thing I'll do that I really notice is I've had kind of sort of like really traumatic events happen in my life. But I'll tell people like this is an example that didn't happen. But if my aunt were to die, I would tell someone, I say, hey, my aunt died yesterday and I would see how they react and I would sort of vicariously feel it through that because you know while I probably would be sad if my aunt died I wouldn't be able to express it in the same way that other people do so I would want to sort of like I I do that all the time where I just tell people something really really dark and terrible about my life that you know is true and then I'll see how they react and you know it is kind of a jerk thing for me to do but it helps me understand you know the way I'm supposed to be reacting to it so that other people don't think I'm crazy so I can, you know, cry properly and all that. Oh, okay. So I see you're trying to use it as basically a base, you know, so you can uh, understand what to do in that case. Yeah, because anything I know about the way people interact with others is from observation and not through my personal experience because, you know, I I can have moments where somebody will say something terrible like, oh my god, there is this bus crash and, you know, 50 people died and it was terrible and there were bodies everywhere and you know i'll be sitting there and while they're telling me about this my train of thought will be going somewhere else like i'll think oh there was a bus crash that's terrible and you know they should make buses better but i don't know if you can make a hundred percent good bus so maybe they would need a magic bus in which case it would be the magic school bus and so i'll start thinking about like the magic school bus and i'll start like smiling because i'm remembering the magic school bus but meanwhile this person is talking about how everyone is dead and so they think I'm smiling at that, but I'm really not. And I know what uh-huh. everyone must like. It's so hard because if you've ever met someone with Asperger's, something you'll probably notice is that um, 
they tend to come off as kind of a jerk, but... And while it's kind of true that, you know, I don't act the way I really should around people most of the time, a lot of it is, like, accidental. Like, I don't try to be cruel to people. I, mm -hmm. I don't think that's a good way to go about things. But I just sort of happen to be insensitive sometimes because I don't relate to people in the same way that neurotypical people do, so... Yeah, no, I, uh, I can understand that because actually, very strangely, I was listening to a podcast today, um, as at the moment we're recording this, that there was this, this guy, I guess he had probably the same symptoms as maybe you have, where he had a, you know, he was struggling with, um, you know, reacting to things emotionally and reacting the right way, much like what you just said. So what he did was he went, he found out about this thing that would stimulate his brain in a certain way. And he eventually be able, he was able to gain some sort of emotional connection. And it really it fully changed his life in, in a way that maybe it wasn't for his best, you know, interest, but it, it uh, you know, it definitely changed the way he could feel and sense things. So I, uh, I have a better understanding about what you're talking about since I just listened to that podcast. Yeah, and for me, it's always sort of been a challenge because in a lot of ways, the stuff I write for, like, it's through the lens of Jurassic Park, but it's stuff that's deeply personal to me yeah. or, like, that, you know, it affects me on an emotional level. And so I try to make people understand it through that because otherwise I feel like if I just tell people how I think about things, it doesn't quite work because they haven't experienced it. Because, you know, when I say, you know, hey think about the color blue. You might be thinking of a different shade of blue than I am, or you might be, like, thinking about blue from Jurassic World because your mind just went there. And so I have no way of knowing how other people are thinking, and especially because my mind kind of works differently from others. And so another problem I have is with knowing how far to go on certain things, because if you've ever heard me arguing with someone, which happens once in a blue moon, I'll start to go too far because, first of all, I'm a very argumentative person, which is another symptom of Asperger's, but also I try to correct the situation by engaging more. Like, mm -hmm. it's like if, uh, you know, you've messed up a cake and you've burned it, but you just keep putting icing on it because you're like, I can fix this, I can fix <laughs> it instead of just throwing it out. Yeah, yeah. And so another problem with that is, you know, when I'm writing, sometimes you know, I'll have a joke or like a comment or something I'm going to address that, you know, is kind of controversial or might be taken the wrong way. And I think, you know, this is such a bad idea to bring this up. This is such a bad idea. But if it works, it's going to be gold. And so it's it's like gambling where you're like, yeah, I'm probably not going to win. But if I do, I'll win big. So, mm -hmm. you know, if, and if I do tell a joke that, you know, really, really offends someone, I'll feel bad about it. But you know, what's going through my mind at the time is, you know, I really, really want to do this, and it's like, I just can't stop myself. It's like seeing a cupcake on the... I, I'm using a lot of food analogies, <laughs> I don't know why. It's like seeing a cupcake on the counter, you're like, mmm, I really want to eat it, and it just seems like such a good idea, but obviously there's sugar and stuff, and you don't really think about that. It's in the back of your mind, but you're like, no, I just want to eat it. Yep. And so I do sort of end up, like, turning people off because I sort of freak them out by, you know getting into these sort of discussions and I go too far, but that's all sort of part of, you know, I, I need to learn to control myself a little while also not, you know, because 
another thing that like there's a lot of weird weird symptoms of Asperger's but I sort of see things in terms of like black and white and gray areas really really confuse me okay so where was I going with this I, I was I, sorry I just forgot but wait 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 okay okay yeah yeah there it, I is, got there it. it is there yeah so <laughs> um so for me it's either all or none and so when I was in school writing you know like and I was doing all these crazy things because I always wanted to be as crazy as possible I didn't know I had anything back then so I would have sort of this like okay disclaimer I do not hear voices in my head that's <laughs> like that I'm not that kind of crazy but I did make a voice in my head to talk to myself to sort of like say like it just sort of appeared all of a sudden is I was sort of talking to myself in the second person like and really in a negative way like you can't do this this is not going to work what are, you're so stupid how do you even think that this is going to go uh -huh. over yeah. with people and so and I realized as time went on that that second voice that you know I wasn't just hearing it automatically I was thinking it and mm -hmm. it was me trying to sort of predict what other people especially like my teachers and the people who I didn't get along with would like how they would react to the stuff because I did have a lot of teachers who didn't understand the way I worked and who really hated me a lot and so it took a long long time for me to get rid of that nagging voice that said you know you're not allowed to do this because this is not how it works but then you know now I've reached a point where I'm putting dragons in Jurassic Park and it makes sense and I'm like <laughs> you know I'm able to do this yeah and I can I can do all of the stuff and it's so liberating yeah, you know, when it comes to doing your own art, you know, whether it's on the page or, you know, uh, a piece of artwork, uh, you, you, you have to have that sort of liberty when it comes to making decisions. And, you know, if you choose to be a little bit more subtle, that's one thing. Or if you want to be overt and just spell it out for everybody. But in your case, you're, you're taking your basically your real life, uh, you know, things that have happened to you and putting them on a page and, and disguising them almost in a way into these Jurassic Park, Jurassic World settings. Oh god, I'm really glad you brought that up because I was just about to go into that. <laughs> so, with uh, Jurassic Park and the way I write, I get kind of uncomfortable when I address the stuff in my life directly. Like, there have been moments where I sort of step aside and the, like, there was one chapter, I think, of the silliest Jurassic Park fanfiction ever written where I just step aside and say, this is not real, there's some, there's some things that are, but I'm not actually a dragon, I don't think that, so don't take this the wrong way. But then there's some things that are sort of coded in there. Like, I've, I haven't discussed this with anyone, I think, yet. But there's a story that one of the characters, Lily, tells Charlie the raptor who is alive as a human. It's a long story. Don't oh, worry wow. about it. Nice. <laughs> it. It's 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 complicated. And she's talking to her about this incident with her mother uh, where she dropped a cup in the garbage and it broke and her mother got mad and yelled. But then later came in and it was into the room and like talked about it, it was alright that's based on something that actually happened to me but it's a different character speaking through that way mm -hmm. and then there's something else like I wrote another Jurassic Park story called Best and um, it's told through the point of view of a character who's in Jurassic World but very very minor and um, okay. it's literally everything that happened to me with my uh, sort of troubled relationship with my grandmother so everything you read in there that is not related to jurassic world is exactly what happened and the reason i did that is because i wanted to keep a record of you know all the things she did to me so that she would wasn't able to sort of gaslight me and tell me i was dreaming or that i was crazy which has happened before um okay. that's kind of a darker subject um another 
thing that I put into the writing that I wrote down. I have a paper here of things I was going to talk about, and I can't even read my own writing. I don't understand what I'm <laughs> saying. But another thing is um, there's a moment where one character uh, is sort of locked in a dark place and, you know, for a long time, uh, and it happens very frequently, like I think every day it was. And, um, you know, she sort of, like, goes crazy in this time because it's, like, sensory deprivation and she doesn't know what's real and not. And that's kind of based on... Uh, a couple of times when my dad left me locked in the car on a hot sunny day and I'm like, is he oh, ever no. going to come back? Or it's like, and I just started wondering, you know, what in life is real? And you sort of get into that crazy headspace where you're just sort of thinking, you know, will this ever end? And is this going to be how I die? Oh, boy. I didn't have a great upbringing on that side of the family, but, uh, sorry you know, it, there, there were moments that it was good, you know, like I do have some fond memories of that but mm -hmm. you know i don't think everyone has like just a perfect life no no of but, course not and you know there are bad things that happen to us that are sometimes out of our control but i've been trying to sort of get over them through this writing and especially you know the whole reason i decided to write a silly stupid terrible awful crazy <laughs> silly you know all that stuff the story yeah is because I wanted to sort of break those limits that had been put on me because like when I started writing I didn't know I had Asperger's like I had a feeling I had something but mm -hmm. I thought maybe I was just quirky and it actually did kind of come as a disappointment to me when I learned I had Asperger's so I'm like oh I thought I was just being crazy on my own but there's a reason Okay. Yeah, yeah. so like all my life I've had you know teachers not all of them but a lot and you know adults and people telling me that you know, be yourself, but not actually, because you, the person you are is not what people want to see. And so I thought, you know, if I'm able to make people like these crazy ideas, you know, especially with Stegoceratops, like, if I'm able to write in a way that people can like the idea of a Stegoceratops, maybe I can write in a way that, you know, makes people like me. Did I say that grammatically correct? I sounded good to me. I mean, I'm no... <laughs> Is it make people like me? I don't know. Anyway, but, um, <laughs> yeah, so, because, you know, I, I sort of grew up and didn't have a lot of friends because, you know, not everybody can get along with me well. I had, you know, people I hung out with, but, you know, until university, I didn't meet anyone who was sort of, you know, compatible with my personality type. And so, you know, my best friends were really books, and I would read a lot. And actually, in grade two, I was at a grade 12 reading level, and that's not just because of Asperger's. That's just because I had no friends, so I read all the time. Oh. <laughs> and so I would read these long, long novels and, you know, sort of, you know, discovered, you know, stories and characters that I sort of grew attached to. And, you know, I know it's kind of cliche to say, you know, someone with Asperger's relates to a fictional character more than real-life people, but... Fictional characters never told me that I couldn't do things. They never, you know, said, you're unworthy of this, or, you know, you're just a stupid child who can't write worth crap or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I just sort of found myself, and I eventually told myself stories because I've always had this thing where I don't think I'm very good at what I do, but, you know, once in a while I'll be happy about it. But I would tell myself these stories about, you know, dragons and dinosaurs and all this stuff and you know eventually i sort of realized there's a bit of merit in there but you know not much but it's enough that i could maybe learn to write one day mm -hmm. and so that's what i did yeah and i think like you you even kind of started to build your own community in a way like the people that follow you and your work 
And overall, I think when it comes to a community, whether it's, you know, something, you know, on your case, like, a, you know, a set of, you know, fan fiction or a giant, uh, you know, motion picture with four films, it becomes basically a safe haven for like-minded people. Um, you know, sometimes there's people that cut in and out of the communities. They don't, you know, necessarily mesh well. Um, but overall, I think fandoms can be a, a really welcoming place. Oh, definitely. Like, you know, every time someone says something nice about my work, you know, my first reaction is always, oh, my God, are you crazy? I suck. But the second reaction <laughs> uh, yeah. is like, yeah. so flattered and all this. <laughs> and that's why, you know, whenever, it, you know, once in a blue moon, somebody will not like something I've drawn or written and they'll say, you know, this is garbage. And a part of me says, oh, my God, they're right. They're the ones who are neurotypical. They don't have Asperger's. They're the normal people. So therefore, they must be right. And everything I've been doing is, you know, crap. And I'll just get really depressed and, you know, yeah. question my whole existence. But, you know, I always sort of come around on that. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to ignore that kind of stuff, even though, you know, if, if they're being critical for the sake of just to, to hate or to be mean, you know, you don't need to pay attention. But if they're going to actually say something that's, you know, constructive. That's a that's a completely different story, and you know maybe they leave you uh, you know a bad review, but you learn from it eventually if it's a good definitely. One. <laughs> like I I have yet to encounter though like someone who fully and coherently tells me why something is bad rather than just like flaming and stuff. But oh, that's the end really, for you. I really I really really do wish that somebody would like coherently uh -huh. tell me why i'm awful like in sort of like a plinket style review of like this is why this sucks you know so i could know like because i do agree with some people that there are things i make that are not perfect and some of my stories are kind of crap in places but you know i i hope that it's generally good for most people yeah and i think like uh like i said when you're in a community uh we tend to necessarily like you know in most cases we tend to like the same things you know, we're all here because we love these films or the books or the toys or, you know, theme parks. So we're all in this for very typical sim similar reasons. Um, so, you know, you, you're going to come across people that just don't agree with your, you know, maybe your specific type of work or even, you know, my podcast in general. You know, I get bad reviews every now and then, but you you kind of have to either ignore them if they're if they seem out of place or you know strive to change that mentality change that um i guess that point of view if somebody you know points out something that maybe you know you need to work on oh definitely i've i've had a couple of moments where i try to explain things to people and then uh again i get a little bit argumentative mm -hmm. and uh, end it up happens, getting blocked yeah. and stuff and so <laughs> But, you know, I do try to sort of tell them my point of view, and I don't know if I come off as aggressive or crazy, which I am, but... Yeah. Well, look, you know, when it comes to this, I think you're never going to be able to change somebody's point of view, really. You know, it, you can explain, you can lay out every single detail that you've ever known, but, you know, if, if you're trying to explain to somebody, look, Jurassic World is actually a pretty decent movie, and there's there's a lot of points that you need to look at and understand... At the end of the day, they're going to look at you and say, no, it's garbage. So it's Definitely, really... Definitely, <laughs> yeah. Like, I've, I've come across, like, opinions like that. Like, But, mm -hmm. again, another part of my uh, Asperger's is, like, I think that people should be able to think in the same way I do. So when people have an opinion different to me, it's like, wait, what? What? How can you not, like, think the same way I am right now? But, uh -huh. And then I sort of, you know, because one of the things I sort of set out to do when I uh, wrote was sort of, like, I 
my measure of me being good is when I can make something completely ridiculous seem, you know, plausible, like Stegoceratops. Like, if there is someone who has not been convinced by, like, who has actually read my stories and who isn't convinced that Stegoceratops is awesome, like, like, I'll still try to get them to my side, but, like, that's just my stubbornness talking. Mm. Like, <laughs> there are some people who genuinely will never be able to switch to my side because, you know, we are all different and stuff. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, since we're we're different in little things here and there, we try to come together under this veil of Jurassic Park and, uh, you know, learn from each other and strive to be a little bit better and share our art and all this to other stuff, you know, just to kind of make the community a better place. Now, um, take, for instance, uh, JP Legacy recently shut down, and that was, a, that was a real safe haven for a lot of people. You know, a lot of people would share their work on there, whether it was, you know, stories or art or just, you know, a place to talk with people. And so when that shut down, many people felt lost. So their specific version of this community kind of broke down. Whether, you know, how I said, you have a specific version of this community, I have a specific version. You know, that JP Legacy version... You know, it's it's gone for the moment, and people feel lost. So there's also that aspect of the struggles we all have to deal with, even within this community. Oh, definitely. Like, Jurassic Park Legacy was one of, you know, my most frequently visited sites. It was where <laughs> I published my work. It was where I got, like, where I pretty much founded, built the fan base of the stuff I wrote. And I do remember, like, so many people, you know, on Twitter reaching out. It was, like so sad to see all these people you know mourning the loss of jurassic park legacy even before it was gone and you know yeah some people were driven to really really dark places you know like depressing places yeah, yeah. that and it was just it was touching and sad to see how many people sort of relied on it as because you know it for some people it was their home like you know we have our lives and then we have sometimes our internet lives which very slightly because some people like me who don't exactly fit in a normal society sort of slink to the weird corners of the internet where <laughs> their ridiculously specific thing will be accepted because you know i can't just walk down the street and say to someone hey guess what i wrote a story about a stegoceratops and like it's awesome <laughs> no Cause, one will get it <laughs> no because i mean unless you sort of know what it is yeah it's just gonna sound like stupid but exactly yeah so it's like having a place in the internet for Jurassic Park fans and specifically, you know, maybe the ones who don't really get out that much. I know it's sad to say that in that way, I should probably phrase it in a better way, but people who don't necessarily fit in as much within the like real life community, you know, at least they have like somewhere to go to talk about Jurassic Park and to be themselves in their own very specific fandom. So yeah, because that's what it sort of offered. It was around for so many years that you, you said it yourself, it became a home for many people. And once you take that home, you know, like pull the carpet out from underneath them, uh, you know, they, they have nowhere to go and they feel lost and it feels like uh, everything has changed. And when you're using something like a film or, you know, Jurassic Park in our case to, to make your life a little bit better, it kind of changes things when it's the, you know, the wolves pulled over your eyes. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's... It was just such a shock, and it came out of nowhere. There was little warning, and everybody was just like, oh, it, it was like, you know, any kind of... I, I know it's kind of weird to compare it to, like, big disasters, but, you know, it's like when any kind of thing, like, 
I, I'm trying not to compare it to this one thing, but I'm not going to go there. But um, it's, <laughs> well, look, I guess it's like a community-centered, it, like, closing down what? Yeah, no, well, if you if you want to compare it to something, compare it to, you know, say, for instance, the stories in Jurassic Park and Jurassic World, every movie, really, they all deal with family issues. And it seems like in these movies that it, it almost seems like a lot of them are dealing with an issue right now, right in that moment of the movie where maybe their families are breaking up. So in that way, the wool's being pulled over their eyes and they're, they're you know, they're, they're getting the rugs pulled out, everything. So they're losing everything and they're struggling in that case. Definitely. And it's, I guess it's kind of like Jurassic World 2 where, you know, what's going to happen to Jurassic World? All of a sudden, you know, this disaster is taking place and everybody's reacting to it in different ways. And like... Yeah. You don't really know how to deal with it and you know because people react to well i guess it's kind of weird to compare a closing of a forum to like something really really traumatic but it, it kind of was for some people <laughs> for but some, yeah pe definitely people like react to trauma in different ways like some people try to justify it or find meaning in it or you know sometimes they just shut down or like try to get like sometimes they get more aggressive towards other people or more accepting towards other people but it's different for everyone and i think you know, Jurassic Park Legacy closing down was like a microcosm of how we react to sort of bigger disasters. Yeah, that's like a really uh, great observation um, because we do all deal with things differently. And, you know, you can say, oh, it's just a small form. Who cares? You know, but but it could be it could mean the world to, you know, one specific person. And when that changes, their entire life changes. Yeah, I guess it's it's one of those cases where you never know how much something means to someone mm -hmm. until it's gone. Like, yeah. you know, if all of a sudden, you know, one of your friends stops showing up at school and you realize they've died somehow, uh, either by their own hand or by someone else's, and you're just like, this person's gone from my life. And, you know, you go through the stages of grief, you know, and you don't know how to deal with it. And it's just all of a sudden, something that was part of your life, whether you know it or not, is just gone. And so you have to sort of balance your life to make up for that loss yeah you know i uh i didn't intend to bring this up but since you since you said that actually today i'm at work and i get an email that one of my coworkers died and you know didn't know how to react so it was very you know caught me caught everybody off guard you hear an audible gasp in the office and one of the first things i did was i, I pulled out my phone and I had my headphones in and I just started listening to the Jurassic World soundtrack because a lot of those tracks are very comforting and you know it's something easy to listen to and something that kind of uh you know you can kind of deal with your emotions in a way definitely like again especially for me because you know Asperger's you know media and fiction in general is something that helps me interact with the world and when you think about it like, on the surface, it sounds really shallow and stuff that, like, mm -hmm. I care about all this media when, you know, there's a real world out there. But media is what comes from our thoughts and the way it's the way humans sort of deal with and try to understand the world. Like, again, in kind of the way I do, but maybe less so or maybe more so. I don't know. But it's the way we interpret things and, you know, try to come to conclusions. It's like an essay, but with fictional people acting out all these different things. And you know it's part of our culture and it's what separates us from the animals really like you don't see uh what's an animal a cat you know writing about the trials of trying to catch a mouse and how it relates to society and stuff because cats i don't think understand that kind of stuff to that level that yeah. humans do 
Yeah, they also don't write, so that you know. <laughs> no, as one. far as we know, I don't know. My <laughs> maybe maybe when we leave. <laughs> so yeah, and it's like, but then you know, there there is sort of a limit where some people do get too much into the fictional and sometimes the internet world. Like, I don't know if this was a fake news article, but I wouldn't doubt that it's true because you know we live in a crazy world where uh, there was a, I think a child who uh, jumped out of the window of his house because his favorite anime character died and it's like when you get to that point it's a little bit too far i think but like i can understand feeling sad and you know crying when you're reading like a harry potter book and you're like oh my god this person you know just got killed and they were my favorite and i related to them and yeah they're not real but they're real to you and because you breathe life and you breathe life into them by sort of projecting yourself onto them and you know, interpreting them in a way that's, you know, unique to you. Yeah. At the same time, you do have to treat it with the respect that it deserves. You know, you can't necessarily take it to that extreme, you know, to go to go nuts about it and, and you know, take your own life or do something crazy like that in that case. Definitely not. Like, I, I do sort of get attached to things, but I'm also very much aware, like, I like there are some people out there who like me write fan fiction and sort of have like these self insert characters which is like putting themselves into the story and like Mm -hmm. interacting with characters in a way that's kind of like sad and pathetic from an outside view and whenever I kind of do that thing I I understand how it is sad and pathetic but you know at the same time you know when I was a kid I would make these characters like dragons and stuff to sort of deal with my like it was like Bridge to Terabithia or whatever, where you're like, oh god, I'm dealing Don't through even. like, <laughs> yeah. Speaking of sad things, that is like, like the saddest movie that like, I've ever seen. Definitely, it's like it's making up this world that helps you deal with things. Like that's how I, I used to have a lot of nightmares, but I overcame them by sort of in my dreams changing into a dragon and breathing fire over all these monsters that were attacking me. And so that's symbolically kind of what I'm doing with real life. Is you know, I'm trying to sort of figure out whether or not I have quote-unquote control over these things. You know, we never really do have control, but we have the ability <laughs> to interpret and understand, which is yeah. a form of control, I guess. Yeah, you know, in my case, um, the things that I've struggled with in the past, like I've been known to be very quiet and shy and you know, in, in everyday life. So in this case, something like this is is a bit crazy for me to to come on here weekly and to talk about you know everything and to talk with people interview people and meet new people and reach out so it's kind of a you know a different thing but i took it because because i love talking about these movies so much i love i love meeting people that actually feel the same way it all tends to wipe that anxiety away in a way you know and get rid of it because we're all on the same page and we can talk about jurassic world and you know stegoceratops and and completely relate in that same way or maybe not the same way, because you love it so, so much. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like, I, I heard someone sort of talking the other day about, like, how humans do things and how our emotions, like, while they do bring good things, are kind of negative because we're too busy fighting over things to sort of get anything done. And they yeah. said, you know, if we didn't have emotions, we probably would have made it to the moon sooner and we would be, like, living in space and so advanced. I'm like... Well, that's not exactly true, because without emotions, we wouldn't have dreamed of landing on the moon in the first place. Like, we'd have no reason. We'd just sort of be existing rather than Mm -hmm. living and enjoying life. And so that's why we need fiction, is because 
that's what inspires us to do the things we do. Like, it's all well and good to have engineers, but even engineers have to sort of dream up these things and, you know, like, without dreams and without fiction, all we have is just existing. And it's not even a good existence. So that's kind of yeah. why we need this. Yeah, so you know what I did is I actually... um I reached out to a lot of people on the internet through Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I wanted to kind of find out what other people feel when it comes to overcoming adversity and their own struggles. Um, so I want to kind of go through some of those at, at this time here. Um, I'm, now, what I'm going to do is I'm, uh, you know, since it's a you know a sensitive topic for some, I'm not going to actually say who it is. So I'm just going to say this person right here. This first one I have uh, says. When I first, or when I saw the first trilogy, that was in 2013. At the same time, I was witnessing my parents' divorce, so those films kind of helped me forget about all the problems of my family and feel better in some way, understand what is happening. So, from that, from that statement right there, you can totally see how these films help people and help people through a struggle, while relating exactly to what's going on in these films, like I was saying before. God, definitely. Like, my parents also got divorced, like, a year after Jurassic Park 3. Oh, man. So, like, 2002, you know, the year prior had not been good for various reasons. And so, you know, it was just not a good time for anyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and when you're when you're watching these characters, like, in, in Jurassic Park, you, you very subtly know that, you know, Lex and Tim's parents are getting a divorce. Um, you hear, yeah. like, a little a little quote in the beginning that kind of says that sets it up. But to that extent, you don't really know until you look into it further. And then you deal with, let's say, um, The Lost World, um, and you see Kelly with her dad. But you know there's some sort of issues behind the scenes, and the parents are separated. And even, even Malcolm himself says he's looking for the next uh, ex-Mrs. Malcolm. So you know things yeah. are not good for him and his kids. He's got – what? Did, how many kids did he say he has? Three, four? Three. I forget. Yeah. Three. <laughs> So these these themes came to keep, seem to keep going, and then of course to Jurassic Park three with Eric and his parents, uh, Jurassic World. Obviously, there's a big issue there with their parents, and and then them getting along too. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things about that is I sort of like it when um, uh, in Jurassic Park one, it's sort of the divorce of the parents is setting the stage for sort of. Uh, both Lex and Tim's and uh, Grant's story arc, because Grant is kind of learning to accept kids and be more of a fatherly figure, and yeah. it sort of adds a layer to it, because the kids are going through, like, sort of, in a sense, losing their family, like, their the way it was, and their parents, and so it's kind of like an extension of that. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think uh, it's funny, because you don't tend to pick up on these things, and then you... you you hear a lot of people complaining about Jurassic World, like, oh, what was that divorce story for? That was dumb. I've heard so many people say that. You know, like, oh, it didn't pay off. It didn't do this. It didn't do that. Well, it actually, it, it did pay off in the same, in the exact same way like yep. that it did with Grant, but with Claire, where she's learning to sort of, you know, keep the family together in a way. Exactly. That's what I don't understand about the rationale about, you know, all these issues with Jurassic World, because these things parallel very well with the other films. And uh, just because, you know, maybe... Not only that, like, the internal logic is, like, uh -huh. pretty sound, too. Like, I would sort of withhold from saying that people are entirely wrong or enti entirely right about things, because I know everything's subjective, but if they really just missed out on that little bit of, like, symbolism and stuff, like, that, that is just kind of weird. Like, 
they're wrong about that. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, you're perfectly welcome to not like the film because of its merits or whatever, you know, but but when it comes to noticing parallels and, and things that are the same in both films, but yet you like the first one, but not the last one, it just, it's very mind-boggling in a way. But um, Well, it could be because, like, maybe they're done differently, but in this case, yeah. I would say no, because they're done pretty much, like, like the different but same principle, but it's also done like I think Jurassic World handled it just as well as Jurassic Park. So well, I think you get to see a lot more of it on the surface. You don't really know much about it in Jurassic Park, but in Jurassic World, they they set it up. They show you the parents. They show you, you know, the issues, the struggles that they're having. So you don't really get that in the first movie. Not really, but I guess they serve different purposes. Yeah. but the same purpose as well. All right, well, back here over on Twitter, we got another one. It says, um, it helped me to uh, to know how to socialize with people, and now I have many friends, all thanks to Dr. Malcolm. See, that's that's the kind of stuff we've been talking about. Like, you know, maybe maybe you're having a hard time outside, you know, relating to people with, you know, in your school or at work or something like that. But somebody, you know, a, a fictional character like Dr. Malcolm, and that's debatable whether he's fictional because Jeff Goldblum is that guy he's the same guy so somebody like him can bring us all together and we can all laugh and and you know talk about these funny moments that he has in that film definitely like again it's you know relating to people through fiction you know and understanding mm -hmm. it's like you know a toddler learning like not to steal other kids trucks that's basically <laughs> you know and how are you supposed to learn if you don't see other people like Actually, evolution-wise, humans mimic a lot more than apes, and that's why we're, like, more successful and also dumber. Because we'll make <laughs> the same mistakes as our parents if they make those mistakes. Yeah. But at the same time, we'll have the same success rate. Yeah. I got another one here. It says, Since childhood, I've aspired to be a paleontologist. In hard times, when the dream seems hopeless, I watch Jurassic Park. Um, it also says... Also, Batman Begins is one of my favorite movies of all time and helped me to preserve in spite of fear and adversity. So I think in, in this case, Jurassic Park, you know, it kind of it lifts up your, your spirits and your hopes. And, you know, it, I think uh, something like Jurassic Park really inspires people to become, to become something like a paleontologist. Most, uh, mostly similar to like how Indiana Jones you know, inspires people to be an archaeologist or something like that. So I think something like this is, is really inspiring to change people's lives. Definitely. I wanted to be a paleontologist for like so long, but then my grandma, I think I told you this, she said that I was going to be eaten by cannibals in the mountains. So I, I don't know what she was talking <laughs> about, but that scared me away from it for a while. That, yeah, that, I mean, I, I kind of get it. I get where, where she's going with that. But yeah, I mean, sometimes... You just gotta look past the cannibals. In the mountains, like <laughs> you never know. Is this an American That's the thing. thing. No, you no, you just don't know. I mean, <laughs> I don't think there's any uh, spread out through America. Not that I know of. But I guess if you're going to some random, you know, country that you don't know much about, who knows what's in those jungles? Getting like a King Kong style tribe that sacrifices <laughs> you to a giant gorilla. Yep, and no, no other humans know about this tribe. We've never flown over their area with a helicopter or anything like that. So, well, there are hidden tribes still, so it's possible. I guess, yeah, yeah. But I think, um, you know, in this case, it, uh, you know, a lot of us actually wanted to be 
paleontologists and study dinosaurs and fossils and all this stuff. We all wanted to have that part of us. But of course, it, it kind of slips away for some. But others, the people that are meant to do it, uh, maybe in this person's case, you know, they just need to latch on to something like Jurassic Park and actually do it. Definitely. Like, I never outgrew dinosaurs, partly because of the way my brain is and partly just because dinosaurs are cool. But other kids, you know, it came and went. For me, it just stayed. Yeah. I have another one here. This moving over to Instagram. Uh, this is a simple one. It says, chaos theory, life finds a way, use this every day. So I think that's, yeah. that's definitely a way to explain things for sure. Funny story. I actually came up with chaos theory before I knew what chaos theory was. Like, I obviously seen Jurassic Park, and I knew he was doing something weird with water on the hands, but I was a kid. I didn't know what that was. Yeah. But then I was in physics class, and, you know, uh, the teacher was saying, now this ball will roll this certain direction if you apply this much force. I'm like, well, what about the table? She's like, what about the table? I'm like, when, like, because, you know, there's molecules and stuff, and even, like, really small things like that, wouldn't they affect it somehow? She's like, yeah, but in this case, it's not enough to really have a significant impact. And I'm like... <laughs> But it's, wouldn't it just change something? It's like, you know... <laughs> Jeff Goldblum would say differently. <laughs> yeah, so... And then I figured out, oh, the thing that I was, like, talking to her about is something that exists, and it was part of Jurassic Park. Yeah, and you so know... That's another example of, like, that Jurassic Park rickrolling me before it became a part of my life. <laughs> yeah, that's taking, like, basically real science and applying it to life and explaining things and helping... Uh, and, and a lot of times in my case, I use these these quotes, you know, just uh, on the surface as quotes for my life. Sometimes I don't even use, you know, my own words. I just basically talk in quotes. So I'd say something, if I wanted to explain something like, ah, oh, you know, something bad just happened. But I'd say, you know, oh, life finds a way, you know, I'll, I'll get through it. It'll be easier, you know, soon. I think that's a way to explain things. Definitely, and I, I think I might have an extra layer of that where I'm using my own words, but they're also quotes because I'm writing them for characters oh, who have yeah. kind of different <laughs> viewpoints for me, so I don't know how that works. That's kind of like Inception quotes. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're bending everybody's mind. Maybe I'm just crazy. <laughs> uh, I have. A, I think this is the last one here uh, from from Instagram. It says... Well, the movie has literally shaped my career choices. Wanting to get into practical effects, all started, um, all started trying to recreate sculptures of the dinos from the movie Out of Clay, and it also brought that sense of awe and my appreciation of orchestral soundtracks uh, the movie has done. So, um, yeah. So that's that was that was about it. Um, but yeah. So. It shapes people's careers, like we were talking about with paleontology and archaeology with Indiana Jones. It, it really changes who you are and what you want to get into. And in this case, it's practical effects and, and working within the film industry. That's pretty funny because the thing that uh, they mentioned with the uh, dinosaurs and clay, I used to do that, but I sort of did it because of walking with dinosaurs. And I remember this one time I was at my dad's house and he let me get away with anything. We did all these crafts and weird stuff and, you know, burning things and Open flames near children, that's safe. But <laughs> I also did, like, these clay experiments with, like, Play-Doh that we made ourselves with an online recipe or whatever, and I made the ornithochirus, and I had him standing up on toothpicks, and I sort of left to go to the other room, and when I came back, uh, it was sort of flat on its face because it had fallen over because it was very gooey clay. And so then I was just looking at it, and I was kind of sad because I had screwed up, and I didn't have the thing. He's like, well, maybe it can be the dead one. And I'm like, 
Oh. Okay. That's <laughs> that okay. works. That works. <laughs> Close enough. And uh, yeah, the other point that they that I mentioned there was the soundtracks and everything. And I think that that has a big, you know, uh, draw for many people is because they love these these songs and these these, you know, chord progressions and everything that they're hearing within the soundtracks, whether it's a certain instrument that they heard, a, you know, a harp, a choir, something very specific, they might say, look, I kind of want to learn to play that thing. And it ends up changing everything they've ever known. That's true. I, I've always wanted to play the harp specifically because I, mm. I play piano and trumpet, but harp has always fascinated me. But of course, you know how much harps cost. It's kind of terrifying. Yeah, that's got to be a little expensive to, you know, to be a hobby or, or you know, to learn to figure it out like eh, i'm not yeah, a big harp fan once after you this. have it made like especially if you're like something really like a bassoon or like the harp or something that not many people play like there's two harpists in my city and so they get hired for everything that requires oh. a harp so you know so you, pick found something <laughs> you found a gold mine yeah. you should just 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 buy one and then maybe Monopoly. you'll get picked up there, there'll be only three people to choose from at that point i have a harp monopoly it's <laughs> my dream yeah, but I think uh, I think these films tend to make people want to get into a certain industry, and I, you know, I've seen many people throughout the community, you know, become, you know, graphic artists or effects artists or you know, writers in your case, or you know, moving on to really bigger and better things, and uh, all because of our love for a certain franchise. It's pretty cool. Oh, definitely! Like so many people have been touched by this in so many ways. Like. You know, I, I someday dreamed to be an animator, though I don't know how good I'll be at that. But while it's not just Jurassic Park that, like, influenced that decision, it definitely played a huge part. And, you know, just seeing how a piece of media that... And I don't I, I don't know if Michael Crichton or Steven Spielberg have this thing where they look at all these people saying, you know, I was inspired to do this, and it's just millions and millions of people. And, you know, to be able to sit back and say, I helped them find who they are. And now they'll be able to help other people find who they are. And yeah. it just must be the best feeling in the world. Yeah, and I think it, uh, it pays off, you know, somebody like Colin Trevorrow, who, you know, probably looked up to Steven Spielberg and, and loved all his films as a kid, and then went on to direct his own movies and, you know, eventually got noticed by Steven Spielberg and then became a director of Jurassic World. That's a pretty awe-inspiring story right there. And, you know, a lot of people can take that same exact route. It's just about finding... Finding that thing that, that you love so much, whether it's the soundtracks or the effects or writing. And, you know, the thing that is kind of funny about all this is when you're a kid and people ask you, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Sometimes you'll have an idea, but other times, you know, like I know specifically with me, I had trouble with that question. And I always just picked something that like, you know, I thought okay, this seems like a reasonable answer. I'll just give it because that's what I sort of want. And I said, you know, I'll be a doctor or something because my dad was a doctor or my family <laughs> wanted me to be a doctor. And then, you know, I realized at some point, oh my God, people can actually be artists. Yeah. Like, it's not what my parents told me where you're just, I guess you kind of might live in poverty, probably more likely than not. But <laughs> it's something that people starving can artist. do. Like, it's something that I can do like specifically like there's nothing stopping me from doing it and then i sort of realized one day you know i like to make videos and i like to write these are things i've been doing but i never really realized that that's what my calling was you know whether mm -hmm. i'm good at it or not is up to people to decide but <laughs> i never realized that that was what 
I wanted to do until like, cause you know, you're so caught up with thinking, you know, what's reasonable and what will get you through life that you don't really come to terms with the fact that the stuff that you already enjoy doing, you know, no matter how specific and weird it is, that can be a job. Mm -hmm. Like if you yeah. paint tiny teapots, that can be a job. If you just sew animals, you know, that can be a job. <laughs> Look, I mean, I like I said before, I made a magnet that, that says I'm the manager of the Jurassic Park Club. And that was probably when I was, you know, eight, nine, ten years old. And in a way, I sort of am. You know, I kind of have become that without realizing. You know, it just over time became something. And, and then I built this and I started a podcast. So in a way, I'm a manager of my own Jurassic Park podcast club. <laughs> Definitely. So it's it's these things where... It's been present through your whole life, but then just mm -hmm. one day or, you know, maybe over a long period, it just sort of comes to be and you, you just sort of look back on your life and you're like, I got this far. Mm -hmm. Which in my case is sort of sitting in the basement all sweaty writing fan fiction, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, in my case, I'm sitting in a basement as well, so it's my basement, so that's that's a good thing, I guess. I'm still in my parents' basement. Well, parent, <laughs> but you know. Yeah. Well, you know, I think uh, I think we really dissected this as much as we could. Um, I think a lot of these, uh, you know, I think the moral of this of these films is to cope with the problems, your struggles, and maybe even throw a few dinosaurs in there, and eventually you'll overcome it and and use something like Jurassic Park to change your life. Yeah, definitely. So do you have any uh, final parting advice for people dealing with any issues and uh, using film to overcome it? Yeah, um, if anyone is like me and have had a constant, you know, people telling you that the person you are is not, you know, suitable for society or you have no place there, you know, if you can't find a place in society, make your own. Like, don't think that the person you are has to change just because other people say that you're not, you know, worthy. Because... I can guarantee that no matter what you love and no matter what you just feel inside, you can make something out of it. And in all likelihood, the stuff you love is what will give you success. Don't ever abandon your dreams just because you feel like you're trash. Unless you are trash, in which case just do it. <laughs> no, I think that's a great way to put it because you got to create your own thing and you got to create your own community. And if you, you know, if you don't have a Jurassic Park community like this or a specific one that you want, create your own. Yeah. So, you know, if I can make Stegoceratops beautiful, you can do whatever. <laughs> That's a great way to go out. So uh, where can people find you online? Uh, you know, just lurking in corners, I guess. Uh, I guess I'm going to be doing a lot of writing soon because, uh, the main body of Tistripafu is coming out in the uh, fall, I think. I have nice. it scheduled. Doing a lot of volunteer work now, so I might not be as active. But, yeah, just Twitter, Instagram, I guess. I have one of those. I have a Tumblr now for some reason. Ooh. I have a Facebook, but that's private family <laughs> things, so don't follow me there. Don't do it. Unless you want to. Unless you <laughs> want to, unless you want to. So anyway, yeah, just all over the place. I don't even know where I am half of the time. Whose house is this? I don't know. You should probably get out. It's it's Jay Bayonas. <laughs> That's very, very likely. <laughs> Alright, I'll talk to you again soon. Alright. Thanks for coming on. No problem.
just went and made a new dinosaur? That doesn't look very scary. You are alive. I start to eat you. All right, I'm back here in the poll segment to add a few comments from our question, how Jurassic Park has helped you overcome adversity. I got a few more responses after LK and I wrapped up, but I feel it was important to cover everybody's responses. Now, like before, I'm not going to mention who the comments are from, but I still wanted to put these thoughts out there because they are meaningful to myself and whoever made those comments. All right, here we go. I won't go into details, but everybody I've talked to because of the podcast or JP Twitter in general has done so much for me. You know, this one really means a lot, especially to me. Uh, I'm not going to take the full credit because it's really the entire JP community in general. But uh, in this case, this is the reason I do this, to reach out to people in this community and give everybody a safe place uh, to gather and converse between each other. So I'm really glad to be a part of this community. My mother died a little over three years ago, and one of my fondest memories with her was watching the first film with her. Uh, I'm really sorry to hear that, but uh, it really just shows how important these films can be for people. You know, they may just be movies. Uh, but they really mean a whole lot more than that. It made me love cinema. Without JP, I'd probably have not a real passion that keeps my life special. And I'd certainly have less friends. You know, I really feel for this one. I definitely have way less friends, too. Same. Plus, without it, where would I be without you guys? Love this community. Exactly. It's a really great community, so I think we should keep this ball rolling smoothly. Jurassic Park helped me realize that too much power can lead to consequences. It made me the person I am today. Wow, this is a really heavy one. You're right, though. The morals in this film certainly make you think twice about how you use your skills. It's helped me in discerning the patterns of predictability and randomness in how these two are interwoven in our lives. In other words, the novels and movies kind of made me contemplate more about the details going on around us. It's insane and astonishing at the same time how one seemingly trivial error can set off a chain of fatal mistakes and how sometimes we meet unexpected fates. You know, I think about this one every day. Sometimes things seem so random, but at the same time, fate seems to really take over. It's just so tough to comprehend, but I, you know, it always makes me think about, you know, what if you had left your house a few minutes earlier or a few minutes later, would that thing have actually happened? You know, it's really just a mind game, and I think these films make you realize that it's all just chaos. Oh, so many things. JP is so close to me. I could write a novel. I totally agree. Maybe we should. All right. Well, I know that was short, but that sums up the rest of our responses. I want to seriously thank each and every one of you. It's an honor to be a part of this community and to gather everybody's thoughts in one place. Many people say I'm one-sided about my love for Jurassic Park, but yeah, you know what? I am because of stuff like this. Thanks, guys. Make sure to visit JurassicParkPodcast.com to find all our past episodes, brand new news articles, information on how to contact us, and much more. It's a great source for everything related to the podcast, and of course, Jurassic Park and Jurassic World. Head to JurassicParkPodcast.com and help us build a great community. Anybody hear that? Thanks for listening to the 65th episode of the Jurassic Park Podcast. Of course, I need to thank Lord Christine for opening up about some tough luck in her life and for helping to show how much Jurassic Park can mean to some people. 
From Jurassic Park to Jurassic World, these films really do help people overcome things, so we shouldn't just analyze them for their cinematic features, but look further into how they help shape the lives of those who watch them. Also, thanks to everybody who submitted our poll segment this week. It's responses like this that show that podcasting about these films is totally worth it. I always get the question, how could there possibly be enough to talk about Jurassic Park every week? Well, this is how. You guys. Don't forget to check back midweek for another episode. If you want to interact with us, we do most of our work over on Twitter, at Jurassic Park Pod. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Jurassic Park Podcast, and our Instagram handle is at Jurassic Park Podcast. You can listen to us via iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Podomatic, YouTube, our website, or wherever else podcasts are found. So make sure to subscribe to automatically get new episodes every week. If you haven't already, please give us a five-star review in iTunes or a great review wherever you listen to the podcast. It will seriously help our rankings and make it easier for fans like you to find us. We're usually spotted commenting on the Jurassic Park subreddit as Jurassic Park Podcast. Don't forget to check out JurassicParkPodcast.com for all the links you heard here today. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us with any news stories, MP3s, segment ideas, top fives, or comments to JurassicParkPod at gmail.com. Or you can submit questions directly on our website contact form. If you'd like to record something for the show, send it in to us and we'll feature it in an upcoming episode. If you don't have any way to record, you can give her a voicemail line a call and leave us a message. That number is 732-825-7763. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Five minutes. Drop what you're doing and leave now.